So this summer, Katie and Christine and I are preaching this sermon series called Two Minority Reports from the Hebrew Bible about the slim books Ruth and Jonah. And what we mean by that is that we find a broadness or an inclusiveness, a wideness in God's mercy that's lacking from the rest of the Hebrew Bible. Today we're looking at Jonah. This comes from chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the whale from the belly of the fish, saying, I called to the Lord out of my distress, and God answered me out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and God heard my voice. God cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me. The waters closed over me. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. As my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you and say, Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah on dry land. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So let me beg patience for those of you who were here last week so I can recap the story of Jonah for those who weren't. About 800 years before Jesus, God asks the Hebrew prophet Jonah to preach hope and repentance to the great but wicked city of Nineveh. But Jonah just doesn't plain want to do this because Nineveh was the Moscow of the ancient Near East. Everybody hated Nineveh, especially Israel. So when God asked Jonah to preach hope to Nineveh, instead, Jonah gets a taxi for the nearby port city of Joppa and sails west, way west, to Tarshish, in fact. And so what's happening is God wants Jonah to go about 500 miles from Israel, northeast to Nineveh, and instead, Jonah books passage on the first ship sailing west, way west, 2,500 miles west, to Tarshish. This is not a subtle gesture. Jonah is telling God to take a hike. As far as the ancient Hebrews were concerned, Tarshish was literally the end of the world because they did not know about Canada and Greenland and Brazil and America. This was the end of the map. Those no further to go than Tarshish. And so I love this map where the Mediterranean basin is superimposed on a map of the United States. So if Jonah is down here in Joppa or Jaffa near Charleston, God wants him to go 500 miles northeast to Nineveh, Boston. Instead, Jonah books the first nonstop flight to L.A., 2,500 miles west. Again, this is not a subtle gesture. Jonah's telling God to take a hike. Well, you know the rest of the story. God is so mad that Jonah is swallowed up first by a terrifying tempest and then by a ginormous fish where he sits in its belly for three days and three nights so he can contemplate the error of his ways until the ship vomits him up on dry land. Dazed, confused, and slimed up with fish bile, Jonah finally decides that God means business, so he does finally go to Nineveh to preach hope and repentance there. Now, you wouldn't think there'd be much hope for success for this mission, right? You wouldn't think that a preacher as reluctant and cranky as Jonah would be very effective. 
How would you like to listen to a petulant and sulky preacher every Sunday? Don't answer that. (laughs) Nevertheless, contrary to all expectations, Jonah is a smashing success. This amazes everybody, including God and Jonah himself. The city of Nineveh instantly wakes up to smell the coffee and turns from the error of its ways. The Bible says this is true from the least to the greatest, from the humblest peddler hawking newspapers and matches on the corner to the great king himself. The great but wicked city of Nineveh closes all the brothels and the strip joints and the casinos and the taverns. They kneel, they fast, they pray. It works. God relents. And the great but wicked city of Nineveh is saved from certain destruction. So the message of Jonah is about the inescapable presence of God. The British poet Francis Thompson famously described the deity as the hound of heaven. The hound of heaven. This bloodhound won't quit till he's treed his coon. And so maybe this is God's word for us today. Jonah is God's word for us today because maybe somebody here is feeling the first, at first gentle but later insistent urgings of God to gospel duty. Maybe somebody here is hearing God call them to preach and practice truth in the presence of falsehood. Maybe somebody here is torn between a comfortable and a meaningful life. Maybe someone here is caught between what she wants to do and what God needs her to do. Someone here maybe stands at the crossroads between broad street and narrow way. Someone here is trying to decide whether to sail west to friendly Tarshish or hike northeast to wicked Nineveh. Look, I know it's hard. Dave Barry says, when I hear of people making vast fortunes by doing nothing productive and contributing nothing to society, my reaction is, how do I get in on that? So to what Nineveh is God sending you? You could always sail west to beautiful Tarshish. It's in the south of Spain. It's on the coast of the beautiful Mediterranean. They have beaches and cabana boys who will bring you margaritas and coronas with a slice of lime. You'd be all tanned and relaxed and happy. But maybe a little empty, too. Every year, First Presbyterian Church of Greenwich sent a mission team to work with the students at a school for poor kids in Honduras. School is for kids in kindergarten through sixth grade. Now, most of us went there to throw a vacation church school for the students at that school, but years before we'd gone there, this brilliant dentist had turned a temporary classroom classroom into a temporary dental clinic because he'd noticed that none of the students or the teachers in that school had ever been to a dentist once in their lives. And so these churches who were working with this school before we went there had shipped all these dental chairs from the United States to Honduras used but genuine dental chairs and all the drilling and polishing equipment all those towers of lights and equipment that you see in your dentist's office they ran a water line into that temporary classrooms to supply the basins that you see next to every dental chair and they ran some forced air in there everything they had everything you'd see at dr duda's office except it was older and more dinged up 
And so every year, we would round up all the dental professionals we could find, two or three dentists, three or four hygienists, and we'd go there for a week to clean the teeth and fill the cavities of 160 students and their teachers. Well, I say we, I didn't do anything, I just went along for the ride. But I want you to notice this. These people who went there drill teeth and scrape teeth 40 hours a week, 48 weeks a year, and when they get a week off, what do they do? They go to Honduras and clean the teeth of 160 kids, 15 a day, 9 hours, 5 straight days. Kathy went 6 times. Now, when we started this mission... You can imagine what a mess all those mouths were, right? They'd never been to a dentist before we got there. You can imagine what kind of a mess most of those mouths were. But then after we'd been going there for 10 straight years, those students and teachers had some of the shiniest teeth in Honduras. So you go ahead and flee to Tarshish. You'll find beautiful beaches and cabana boys. You'll be all tanned and relaxed and and happy. You deserve it. You really do. I mean that. But every once in a while, if God ever calls you to preach and practice truth in the face of falsehood in a place like Nineveh, once in a while, give it a whirl to see if you can do some good. This week, while I was thinking about God snatching Jonah from certain death by drowning in the mammoth and mercurial Mediterranean. I thought about a later intrepid mariner for whom God did pretty much the same thing. Do you know who John Howland is? In 1620, John Howland was a 21-year-old indentured servant in England when he boarded the Mayflower bound for the New World. Somewhere out in the middle of the Atlantic, a violent storm tossed the Mayflower around the waves back and forth like a toy boat. And for some reason, at the height of this terrifying tempest, John Howland decides to climb up out of the hold and onto the deck of the Mayflower. And when it lurched in a serious gust of wind, John was tossed overboard into the roiling Atlantic. This, of course, should have been the end of him, but there was a long rope dangling in the water behind the ship the topsail lanyard. And John grabbed it and held on for dear life, even though that rope dragged him down 10 feet below the surface. And he hung on long enough and dragged himself towards the ship until two sailors dragged him back on deck with a boat hook. This is the 17th century equivalent of a fish vomiting you onto dry land. John Howland says to himself, Well, I guess God has some serious purpose for my life. I better make the best of it. And he does. He earns his freedom from indentured servitude and he gets married. And John Howland and his wife have 10 children and 88 grandchildren. 88 grandchildren. There were 102 passengers on the Mayflower. Only 51 of them, exactly half, only 51 of them had children. But do you know how many Mayflower descendants there are in the United States today? 35 million, or over 10% of the population. 
the inescapable presence of God can do remarkable things if you'll work with it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, amen.